We're going to continue this day. Galatians 1, 6-9. So we've been starting through the book of Galatians. We're going to read this passage and we will have a word of prayer. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Father, we thank you, Lord of all creation, that we can come before you, and we could look at your word, look at this text. Lord, know that you are speaking directly to us. We know you are speaking to us through your word. And Lord, I ask that as we look at this today, we would have great understanding. Lord, that you would speak through me, your spirit, not mine. Thank you, Lord, that we could come together today without fear of persecution, that we could seek your word, your knowledge. Thank you, Lord. Amen. As we focus on verses 7, 8, and 9 today, we see that the Apostle Paul is addressing the false teachers. Paul in verse 7 says, There are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I want to look at this statement some today and show you some methods that false teachers use. Paul is identifying a certain group of people in this verse, and he says that they are disturbing you and that they want to distort the gospel. The word disturbing in the Greek refers to a troubling and perplexing of the mind. And the word distort is to pervert, corrupt, or reverse in an evil sense. So in essence, what Paul is saying here is that there is a group of people that are troubling your mind, perplexing you with the evil intent to corrupt and reverse the gospel of Christ. And these people have methods to which they work. Paul points this out in Galatians 2.4. He states this, But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Paul shows us that these false teachers, these false brethren, as he calls it, and the reason he uses the word brethren here is because they are claiming that they know Christ. They're proclaiming that they are of Christ. So he uses the word brethren here, and he's saying they are spies. The phrase secretly brought in is a military phrase. Okay? It means to be smuggled in as spies or traitors. To emphasize this, Paul again proclaims that they sneaked in. 
And the words sneaked in there is exactly the same phrase as he used before as secretly brought in. So he is reiterating this term, and he's basically saying, if you didn't get it when I said it the first time, I'm saying it again. They sneaked in. They were secretly brought in. He makes sure it is clear. And their mission here is to spy out, which means to inspect insidiously with a view to plot against and overthrow much like what we would think of as a military reconnaissance mission. Okay, so what's the purpose of this? Their purpose is to bring us into bondage, to bring us into slavery, so that we cannot do the effective work of Christ. Jude makes a similar statement. Jude has only one chapter, so it is Jude verse 4. It is the book just before Revelation. Jude proclaims, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude is saying, pretty close to the same as Paul said. When he says they crept in unnoticed, the turn literally means to slip in secretly. So when we think of spies, many of us have an idea of what Hollywood has done with the spies today. I hate to tell you, James Bond is not an effective spy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway. We may think of someone like James Bond, or we may think of something like the Mission Impossible type character. He has gadgets. He's handsome, charming. He tends to attract attention to himself. Many people have heard of him. And I hate to burst your bubble. It's not a good spy. That does not make for a good spy. A good spy is someone who goes unnoticed. They keep a low key, and they must be very observant. They must be able to act the part that they're given and manipulate to get the information they need. They're highly deceitful with confidence so as to not to give away their secret. The best spies are the ones that are never noticed. Okay? They're never noticed. They look just like everyone else. They live their day-to-day lives amongst the enemy. They're collecting pertinent information to make the future attack as easy and effective as possible. The spies are fully committed to the cause they are commissioned to, and they are the highest loyalty to the one they're working for. The good spy also has a high working knowledge of whom they are spying on. They know the culture, they know the rules, they know the customs and the standards of the society and the agencies they're working in. They are able to quickly adapt so as not to be noticed. 
So we look at the spiritual spy. That's a worldly spy. But the spiritual spy, we must remember, carries a lot of these traits. They know their Bible many times better than much of the congregation does. And they speak near-perfect Christianese, which makes them blend in so well among us. So well among us. They infiltrate the church. Jesus warns of this infiltration in Matthew thirteen twenty-four through 30 with the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we're not going to read it all. We're not going to read it, but I'm just bringing it up. And in Matthew 13, 36 through 43, Jesus explains this parable to the disciples. And he explains that the devil sows the tares and tares are what we would know of as weeds in amongst the crop. And the crop is the believers. And when he refers to this, he says that the enemy, that Satan, has sown the evil ones in within us. He's sown the weeds in within us. Peter also gives warning of the false teachers. Peter 2.1, or 2 Peter 2.1 But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. These men sneak into the church. They've been planted and commissioned by Satan. And they are in amongst the people, blending into the woodwork, as we might say. Their mission is to identify the weaknesses of the church body and to introduce destructive heresies. They look for every opportunity to deceive those who are easily swayed, making it their purpose to divide the body against one another and against the teacher and leadership of the church. The false teacher looks for doubters. These are ones that are described in James 1, 6 or 7. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. The false teacher wants to be to the doubting believer as the wind is to the sea. They look for ways that they can toss them around, make them doubt everything from the confidence of their salvation in Christ to their walk in their faith. And I'm sure we've all seen the doubters. We've all seen them. I know I have dealt with some. They sweat over the tiniest things. They sweat over the little things. They get stressed out. They get worked up. They doubt that anything is going to ever go their way. They get stressed out about things that are out of their control. And they worry about everything that might happen. They're the ones that come up with the what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if? And they're tossed around by the things of the world. 
They have great doubt that God can or will take care of whatever is going on in their life. And for what? They give themselves heart attacks. They stress themselves out over something in the end that really either doesn't matter, never comes true, or God has taken care of it. They're always looking to figure out who or what is going to take care of their worry. And they're willing to latch on to the first thing or person that promises them peace or a solution to their worrisome situation. Another, another one that false teachers identify are those described in Ephesians 4.14. And we've looked at this a couple times in the last few times we've met. And I'm going to quote part of this verse. It says, Children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. These people are described as children. They're ignorant to much because they have not learned yet. They don't possess the maturity, experience, or knowledge to defend themselves well, and so they constantly need a guardian watching over them so they don't hurt themselves or get snatched up or kidnapped until they are fully mature and developed. Because of their lack of these traits, many of them are willing to accept and make a mentor of someone who teaches false doctrine. They accept things that sound true, but are actually false. And we can see this. We've seen children playing in the park. They'll run around, not a care in the world. They stick their fingers in places where they could end up losing them or breaking them. Then a stranger comes along with candy. And if there's no one there to protect them, there's no one there watching over them, they'll either A, hurt themselves, or they'll get carried away by someone with evil intentions. Another person in the church that a false teacher will target is women. Not against women, but it says in Second Timothy 3, 6, and 7, for among them are those who enter, he's talking about the false teachers, those who are intending to harm the church, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is by design. This is by design that they target these women, these weak women. God makes it clear that women are to be under the protection of a godly authoritative man. He says this, he makes this clear in 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14. He says, For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And the false teacher is more than happy 
to take on a male role in a woman's life. Because we know from Genesis 2.16 that part of the curse of the woman is to desire the role of the man. He knows that if he can deceive these weak women, that he can stir up their fear, he can stir up their emotions, and it can cause great division in a church. It can cause great division in a church. Whether you're a man or a woman, running on fear and emotions can create a huge destructive path. Many of your marriage and relationship are destroyed by unfounded emotion that was acted on in rage with no way to introduce reason. This can be one of the hardest things to diffuse. And again, it can affect both men and women. But the false teacher knows and identifies all of these people And he knows that he can stir them up easily. And that's one of his tactics. And he tries to use this to his advantage. Once the false teacher has been successful in infiltrating the church, they start an offensive assault. A progression is started to an active persuasion And then they start propagating lies that are meant to discredit the true teacher and to divide the church. The false teacher starts teaching subtle myths to turn people away and try to discredit the teacher of truth. This is another tactic of theirs. 1 Timothy 1, 3-7. Paul is writing to Timothy here. And he's telling him that he is leaving him in Ephesus so that he can continue what Paul has started there. And he says, verse 3, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. False teachers will teach the doctrine of Satan and his demons. This includes doctrines that are made to look spiritual. This includes myths. They make things look like the truth, but they're not the truth which we are seeing here in Galatians, Paul is saying they are distorting the gospel. They're adding something to the gospel, which is not the truth. Many times you'll hear them speak of new revelation and new experiences. One that was popular not too long back was 
I was taken to heaven by God. And he showed me all these things and he told me to tell you about them. Yet the Apostle Paul was shown heaven and he was told not to tell of it. He was told he was forbidden to tell of it. They teach about prosperity and healing. They proclaim that God wants you to have a new car or that God wants you to be healed. And the only reason you don't have this, according to them, is because you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. They twist the scripture and doctrine to make it popular. They teach that you have a part in your salvation, that you just have to cooperate with God and you will get yourself saved. Brothers and sisters, we've looked at this. We know that that's a lie. We know that salvation is through faith in Christ and none of our work. None of our work. But I saw not too long ago on a website that one man said that everything is healed because through his stripes we were healed. So that everything is healed, all you have to do is believe that it's been healed. All you have to do is believe it's been healed and you will be healed. And all you have to do is that you can raise somebody from the dead because they died of an illness and they'll be healed of that illness and they'll be raised from the dead. This man claimed to have raised several people from the dead, including his son. This is a heresy that's just crazy to think about. Just crazy. But they start teaching these things. And they start gaining popularity. The masses start coming to them because, oh, this guy, he went and raised somebody from the dead. Not too long ago, somebody sent me a, uh, a video of a conference. And these people were at this conference and a very uh, popular politician was there. And she was speaking to this man and he was a false teacher. And he said, I want to pray for you. She said, okay. And she, she explained to him that she was late getting to the conference because the transmission in her car went out. And she goes, you know, maybe we could raise it from the dead. She, and she looked at him and said, because I know you've raised several things from the dead. Many people took that as just a laughing matter, but it wasn't. I looked into it. This man, this is the same man, he claimed that he raised his son from the dead because he cooperated with Jesus. That he just had enough faith and they called their son back from the dead. They called their son back from the dead. And so they gained popularity. And we see 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. We see this to be true. For the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And we'll continue on with verse 4. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. People are seeking false teachers. The false teachers infiltrate the church. They come in, they divide, and then they start proclaiming false teachings and they become popular. And people from everywhere hear about it. Many years ago, there was some revival where there was a man who fell down and started giving birth to new souls. He was flopping around on the ground, looked like he had a seizure. And people said, oh man, it must be of God. It must be of God. But where is it at in the Scripture, brothers and sisters? Where does that happen in the Scripture? It doesn't. It doesn't. And they will attract those people. And they will pervert the church. These men that Paul are talking about in Galatians 1, seven, verses 8 and 9 proclaim that they are accursed. They are accursed. Okay, this is their condemnation. Anathema is the Greek word. It means to be devoted by God to destruction in eternal hell. That is what it means to be accursed. Paul proclaims this twice here in our text. In case we didn't get this. And this is the harshest word and language that exists in Scripture. To be damned to hell by God. To be damned to hell by God. We look again at Jude 4. It says again, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude proclaims here that these are those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. This is the penalty of the false teacher. I know I didn't make that a very good transition. I'm sorry, but... This is the penalties of the false teacher. This proclamation of condemnation refers from Jude refers to a judicial decision that had been made beforehand. Okay? The false teachers have been condemned and sentenced to condemnation before they even started to show themselves in the church. God already made judgment upon them. They came in for the evil intent purpose 
to do this in the church, to do the work of Satan in the church. We also look at condemnation of these people. We go back to Second Peter 2.1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. He says, Peter does, they bring swift destruction upon themselves. It is speaking of their rejection of Christ. It says they've rejected eternal life is what the phrase is in the Greek. They've lost eternal life because of their denial of Christ. And we know that this false teaching is still going on today. And the curse that Paul has proclaimed upon these people is still as true today as it was when he wrote the words. Again, anathema is the most damning, harsh proclamation in all of Scripture and is proclaimed to those who distort the gospel of Christ. And that even means today. That even means today. Doesn't mean that he stopped proclaiming this on these people. So how do we combat this? We looked at this a little bit last time. How do we combat this? And it's very simple, very easy. You look at the message, not the man. You look at the message, not the man. In our text here, Paul proclaims, but even if we, meaning himself and those who are with him, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul's saying, even if I tell you a different gospel than, uh, uh, than what's already been proclaimed, then I am to be accursed. I am to be damned of God. He's saying that even if an angel from heaven, somebody that you could even, would be unbelievable that they showed up in this church in front of you and me, it'd be unbelievable to see an angel standing right here. Even if they proclaim a gospel that's contrary to the true gospel, they are to be accursed of God. And we looked at this last time. What does Satan and the demons look like? They clothe themselves as angels of God. They clothe themselves as angels of God. So why, brothers and sisters, would you look at a man? If I stand here, me, myself, stand here and proclaim to you a gospel that is contrary to what is in Scripture here because we have the complete Scripture of God. We have the complete Word of God, the complete knowledge. If I proclaim something like that, kick me out. Kick me out because I am accursed at that point. I am cursed. But we need to be like those in Acts 17.11. 
And it says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. This is how we combat this. We need to study. We need to look at the Word of God. These people in Acts, they didn't have the writings of Paul. They didn't have the completion of the Scriptures. Now, granted, they had the apostles and Paul standing right in front of them. So I'm not sure if they had an advantage or we have an advantage, to be honest. But we need to examine the Scriptures. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. We have the complete Word of God here. We have the complete Word of God. And we are to examine it. And in examining it, and in studying it, and devoting ourselves to prayer, there will be unity amongst us. God's Word will be proclaimed. And we will be able to spot these false teachers that are condemned to destruction from God in hell. We can do this. We can see this. This is not something that is impossible. The scriptures are known to be able to be read by someone with an eighth grade education. Understanding of the scriptures is there because we have the author and dwelt inside us. And we will be able to combat these false teachers. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you so much for the word that you've given us. Lord, I ask that our eyes would be open, that we would be on guard, we would be on alert, we would look at your word, we would be able to identify those who want to come in and who want to destroy the church, your church. Lord, I ask that we would just be aware, Lord, that these people, they're treacherous, they're tricky. And Lord, they're very good at deception. God, I ask that you would show us, you would show us that we would be diligent in the study of your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen.